They say poker is a hard way to make an easy living. This is the podcast about people that make poker work for them. This is Mid-Stakes Living. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Mid-Stakes Living podcast brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com. As always, Derek Tenbush here with you, and uh, always joined by my friend and co-host, Matthew Hunt. How are you, Matt? Very well, Derek. How are you doing? Doing great. I'm ready for the weekend, that's for sure. <laughs> we all are, we all are. <laughs> it's been a long, long week. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, excited to get this episode in. Uh, we've had many, um, many poker players on the show. Uh, and obviously that's a big part of, of what Bitstakes Living is about, talking to people about you know what makes them successful or what they're trying to do to make themselves successful. And a lot of those players have talked about this idea of getting, uh, well, first of all, about the importance of the mental game and how important that is to being a successful poker player. Um, but then, you know, pursuing help in that, in that regard with, uh, with mental coaches. So uh, we're really excited to have Dr. Trisha Cardner on the show today. Trisha, thank you for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So I think a good place to start is, um, first of all, talking a little bit about what exactly you are, you know, because I think I was <laughs> I was reading through your website and obviously, you know, you're you have a PhD, you have a, a history in teaching and in therapy. I mean, do you consider yourself mm-hmm. a mental coach? Do you consider yourself a therapist? Uh, you know, how do you how do you kind of frame that? That is a really good question because I'm one of those people that I don't believe in putting yourself in a box and um, I love to get as far out of the box as possible. But I think the most accurate description is that I do a lot of peak performance consulting, which is kind of a blend of education and I really don't want to say therapy, although I do help people with therapeutic issues. Um, I think I have one of the more unusual backgrounds as far as mental game coaches are concerned because I am a licensed clinician. Uh, I have, you know, taught many, many psychology courses and I also play poker. So I think that's a little bit of a different sort of amalgamation than what most of the other people in this space kind of bring to the table. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's there's a lot of mental coaches out there who who have a variety of different backgrounds, but certainly yours seems uh, yours seems quite unique. Uh, I'm looking at your website, and uh, I noticed one of your two doctorates is actually in criminology. How did you make the leap from that into uh, into poker? Well, I, you know, I could I could make all sorts of pithy comments right here, but uh, <laughs> but when I was young and impressionable, um, I was actually after I got my master's degree. I was working with people who were involved with the criminal justice system, shall we say. And so I was like, wow, this is pretty interesting. I, I want to understand you know, more about this. So I ended up actually got the criminology doctorate first. And so but while I was working on that doctorate, I was just like, whoa, wait a minute. This is not exactly what I thought it was going to be. And I did finish that doctorate. And it did allow me to do some interesting things, but I knew almost immediately that I was going to pursue a doctorate in psychology behind it. And so a few years later, because you have to take a few years off to rest, um, I did do the second one. But yeah, criminology, psychology, poker, I I see a lot of overlap. What do you guys think? (laughs) Maybe too much sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, I think it, it damages uh, it damages all of us when we ever hear too much of a connection there. You know, every every now and again a story will come out where it gets a bit uncomfortable. But uh, certainly, I can see how uh, there's a sort of a root there from from the the psychology of, of the sort of the criminology element, and then into a more like a maybe a more broad psychology. Is that is that is that how the progression went? Well, I'll tell you what, when I was in criminology, what really fascinated me was why people would do such bad things. And so I was quite taken with that for a few years. But after a while, I just got kind of tired of that. And I went to the complete opposite extreme. And I got interested in what makes people really good. So I don't mean good in terms of just like, you know, a puritanical, but I mean, good in, you know, what makes some people 
able to consistently have these peak performances, you know, in various domains. So I got really interested in that. And I got interested in positive psychology, which has been around, uh, I mean, it's been around now probably 10, 15 years. Um, and that really is the psychology of what makes people good, happy, uh, how to get rid of, you know, things like anxiety, depression. So, you know, instead of just taking it's, it's this idea that if people are, you know, if you have like a number line and people are on the minus side, which that would be all the bad, you know, terrible negative things. Well, for a long time, traditional psychology was interested in getting them up to, you know, maybe a zero. So we got rid of the bad stuff, whereas positive psychology is interested in taking you onto the plus side. So not just getting rid of negatives or bad things, but then how can we capitalize and help you get to an exceptional place? Mm-hmm. That's, That's interesting. interesting. Yeah, it's almost, yeah. you could almost compare it, I guess, maybe to the, to the medical side where it's sort of the difference between maybe like treating the symptoms and actually teaching people to stay healthy instead or, or mm-hmm. you, know, uh, you know trying to cure something as opposed to prevent it so yeah it's kind of interesting yeah I think it's really neat and I think that you know people have so much more potential than maybe they realize or they don't know how to tap into it and what I'm really interested in is not sort of this woo-woo stuff you know I can remember when the secret was super popular and it was like oh think rich thoughts and you'll be rich and all this um, kind of nonsense right Uh, no offense to anybody who likes the secret but you know it's not really my jam Uh, I'm really much more interested in the clinically evidence-based research so there are psychology researchers all over the world and they're looking at various you know techniques and strategies and controlled studies and not always controlled studies but a lot of times And so we are able to ascertain, okay, which things have been shown for a wide group of people to get benefit. Now, keeping in mind, psychology by nature has to be probabilistic. So we can't say that this is going to be true 100% of the time for 100% of the people, but we can say, you know, more often than not, these are the factors that contribute to peak Mm -hmm. performance. So that's what I'm into teaching people how to do that and do you find that 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 approach of of rather than rather than trying to correct the negatives and bring them back to a zero like you say do you find that that approach is mirrored in the way that you work with poker players you know focusing on getting them into the positive side directly well sometimes you have things that you have to uh, alleviate let's say if Mm -hmm. someone is suffering from depression or anxiety and it's giving them, you know, pause for concern or it's giving them issues, then obviously you have to address those issues before you can, you know, go into the realm of peak performance. That just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, a lot of people, I think, believe that if you're going to get therapy, it has to be long and arduous and torturous. And uh-huh. that's not necessarily the case. It depends on the type of therapy that you're getting so if we are going to go back into your childhood and you know rehash every incident then yes it's going to be long arduous and torturous Um, I don't practice that type of therapy that wasn't what I was trained in I was trained in things like solution focused therapy uh, Adlerian psychology which is known as individual psychology um, which all these words they might not mean that much to people who are listening but suffice it to say that there's nothing you can do about your childhood so yes while it may be interesting to go on an excavation it's not always that helpful Um, Mm -hmm. so there are some different types of therapeutic you know modalities that can work a lot faster then once you get up to that point where you're managing very well you know your anxiety your ADHD your depression whatever the case may be then you can really get into this other stuff and and get into more peak performance mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense I think it's interesting actually that this this comes up right away um, since I know the original conversation that we had on Twitter that led to this uh, this podcast was about uh, mental health in poker and how people mm-hmm. don't really talk about it too much and uh, and I think it's interesting that you've you've pointed out there that it's very very difficult for people to even get into a place where they're starting to think about peak performance before they've uh, addressed any issues, underlying issues like depression, anxiety, things like that that might be going on. You know, so I think it's um, well. Uh, I guess I'll ask you: Do you do you feel do you feel like there's a, a 
you know a lot of people out there in poker who might be struggling with peak performance and and may not realize that the reason is because they haven't addressed some of this stuff because that's something i've seen before oh my goodness yes you you're <laughs> just like really spot on with it what i think a lot of people don't understand or realize because we don't talk about it very much just in society as a whole is that one out of two people will experience a mental illness in their lifetime and most of those are in the depression anxiety categories they're very common uh, anxiety disorders being the most common followed by depression and at any given time somewhere between probably 12% and 20% of people you know are actively experiencing the symptoms of these disorders like they qualify for the diagnosis but the vast majority of people and men in particular are not treated they have no idea uh, you know they just think oh this is just the way life is you know it's terrible and sucky and you know I don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning or um, you know I have these unwanted intrusive thoughts all the time they just think oh that's the way it's supposed to be not realizing that uh, no that's really not the way it's supposed to be <laughs> Mm -hmm. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. I think this is it's funny, actually, because this is this is something that definitely strikes a chord with me. You know, I've um, I've um, as I'm sure a lot of other poker players have. I've gone through periods in, in my poker career where stuff like this has come up. You know, I've been an anxiety sufferer since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, and these these kinds of issues uh, alongside alongside external stuff, you know, um, things like when, you know, if you have. Uh, stuff going on in your life away from the poker table that is simply more important you know if you have a family member who's sick or something like that you know any of those kind of concerns can can impact your mindset in such a way that peak performance is, is really difficult yeah um so it's uh it seems to me that um that there is probably a lot that can be done to kind of increase people's uh, willingness to talk about this stuff really because I feel like that's one of the biggest issues like you mentioned you know not necessarily just that people aren't really aware of how much of an impact this stuff has but um, but that they don't really talk about it you know so um, is there anything that you you sort of feel you know people should try to to start doing as a way to kind of neutralize these issues or, or anything that you've kind of advised your um, your students to to work with oh goodness um, well there's a few things if you think that you are suffering from depression or anxiety, you should get evaluated by a licensed professional, whether that is your family physician or you actually go to a licensed psychologist, you know, something of that nature. So that's one thing. Um, but something that people can do, you have to understand that the way our brains evolved over time makes us especially prone to anxiety in particular and depression. So the brain is pretty much wired up for it because way back in the day when our cave people relatives, if you came out of the cave and you're like, oh my goodness, it's a beautiful, wonderful, sunny day, <laughs> and you were just taking that all in, you're gonna get eaten by the saber-toothed tiger. So huh. the cave relative who was more like, oh crap, should I even go out of the cave? Should I look out of the cave? You know, That was the one who wasn't gonna get eaten. So guess who gets to pass on their genes? So there is definitely an evolutionary genetic kind of component to these disorders. So people need to understand that. Even though we may not be talking about it, we're wired and the brain has a negativity predisposition for the same reasons so that's why you can see a lot of anxiety and depression so there is that on the other side of the coin there's a lot you can do around eating sleeping exercising a lot of good research to show even some supplementation can help quite a bit um, by that I mean you know things with the fish oils and vitamin D things like that but I would encourage anyone before you just start popping supplements you really uh -huh. want to check with your physician because you could be allergic or if you're already taking some type of prescription medication there can be interactions things like that and so we don't want anybody to you know get sick or or dead or anything like that <laughs> right that's great <laughs> advice I, I, the, the last thing we want is for this podcast to actually kill someone so, <laughs> um, <laughs> so i think that's i'm glad you pointed that out um, so so the uh i think i think there's you know there's a lot of good good advice there obviously and i think the um you know that reality that people don't talk about it is something that i think is, is starting to break down a little bit i think there's there's probably some you know some differences from different parts of the world uh and insofar as how people are actually how willing people are to talk about this stuff you know i mean i'm 
I'm an Englishman and we're the most emotionally re- repressed people on the planet. So um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's it, it's hard for, for some people from certain areas where you're brought up not to talk about this stuff to to get comfortable with it. You know, um, mm-hmm. and even even now, like having a public conversation about it now, I'm a little bit like, ah, this is a bit scary for me. So um, <laughs> you're, you're <laughs> suffering from anxiety shift, right now. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to shift the conversation away a little bit. Um, but no, it, I think it's I think it's interesting that, um, you know, that that you've got a methodology there that's very focused on a lot of this stuff because you've got I know you've done a lot of work with Elliot Rowe in the past I know you, you had a podcast mm-hmm. with him for a long time great podcast um, mm-hmm. and um, I know uh, there are other people working in the poker mental game field like Jared Pendler uh, who's done a lot of great work and I'm, I'm curious how you how you would sort of compare your work to some of what they do because it seems like there's almost at the moment in poker there's almost like one major name in each type of field you know that Elliot's doing his hypnotherapy Jared's mm-hmm. got um, a certain approach that I think is mostly, well, at least fr- from his early stuff, it's mostly around tilt prevention, and now he's I think moved on to performance-based stuff. But um, how would how would you say there's like a is there much of a comparison between your methods and some of the others that you see from other people? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of you know there's a lot of differences. There's some similarities. Uh, Jared mostly comes from a cognitive behavioral orientation, mm-hmm. so he that's where his ideas about injecting logic you know, come from and with his tilt control. Um, Elliot does hypnotherapy. So hypnotherapy is, you know, digging into digging into your unconscious mind a little bit and maybe giving you some statements, you know, the, the idea is that when you're very relaxed, you're more open to accept, you know, various hypnotic suggestions, things like that. Uh, and then, as you can see, I come from a lot, a lot different place, I guess. Just the training is just so vastly different for, you know, the three areas. So I feel like some things are best, you know, treated with a hypnotherapy or, you know, if you suffer from a lot of tilt, Jared Tendler probably is your guy. If you want to, you know, delve into peak performance and, you know, you want to work with somebody who's an expert in peak performance, then I'm probably your person. Uh, you know, and also I can advise you in terms of the clinical disorders as to what you should probably consider doing for the treatment. So I think it's what you're going to be most comfortable with and what you would think your particular focus is going to be. Then that's how you should kind of maybe decide what type of mindset expert you want to work with. That's, in, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's One thing one thing that I, I wanted to ask you about, I, I, I sort of, this sort of relates to what you just described. Um, you know, I think as poker players, we're trained or we have become trained to sort of accept um, certain things as variants. You know, we always talk about, oh, you know, that's just variance. We're just, you know, we're going through this downswing <laughs> because of variance or I'm tilted right now because of it. So it almost seems like sometimes if, if you're learning to, if you're using that as an excuse or you're you're just sort of blocking out tilt because you're just mm-hmm. chalking it up to variance, then you never really are accepting the fact that you might have some issues, right? Like, it's so, it's so easy to just go, oh, you know, just just on another downswing, just variance. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, curi- I'm curious if, if you see that in poker players who, who eventually finally come to you and they go, oh, you know, I just chalked it up to variance for a long time. I mean, you definitely do see that, but I think if you really want to achieve a very high level of performance, it takes a high level of awareness and a willingness to say, you know what, I am going to try X, Y, or Z, and I'm gonna come into it being very open to what I can learn about myself. If you look at any domain, whether we're talking about you know, people who've built incredible corporations, or we're talking about people who've done incredible things in sports, or in poker, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a willingness to look at every possible variable scenario factor that could contribute or take away from that performance. Now, sometimes in poker, people get duped into things (laughs) thinking that, oh, this is going to help me. Like, you know, going back to sort of that secret idea where, you know, maybe somebody told them, oh, you just look in the mirror every day and say, I'm the greatest poker player in the world. And that's going to to work for you. You know, no, that's not going to work. I mean, if you're already the greatest and you're just like, hey, I'm the greatest, how you doing? Okay, fine. <laughs> but, you know, I could chant it in front of my mirror every single day and nothing's going to happen unless 
I put in the work of actually, you know, learning and mastering and creating and all that learning, mastering and creating. Most of us really have very little idea of how we actually do that. So I think you're right, though. If we just want to say, oh, you know, that was just variance and, and we always hook our, you know, cane on that excuse, then, yes, we're, we're just going to stay where we're at. Right. I mean, uh, I, man, I, I did that for like two years. <laughs> I, I'm so annoyed with myself looking back at that period. But yeah, I, I absolutely relate to that idea of just being like, ah, it's just variance, you know, whatever. Just keep playing. Yeah. Don't, don't do any don't do any detailed analysis of whether you're actually playing bad. No, just blame it on variance <laughs> and keep going. I wonder if um, in your time working with poker players, so we on this show and on other in other shows, we we've talked about the amount of time spent studying versus the amount of time mm -hmm. spent playing for poker players. So I think it's very logical that, that people need to add sort of this mental game uh, aspect to their poker playing lifestyle. Do you talk to your, to your players about how much of their time should be spent on this mindset stuff? Like, is it, you know, 10% mindset, 30% study? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just curious if you've broken that down. I mean, I think it really depends on where you're at in your game. Now, granted, the vast majority of people that I work with, I mean, I don't think I work with anybody who's what I would consider a beginner. But if you are a beginner in poker, you need to spend the vast majority of your time learning the strategy of the game. And of course, as we both know, or all three of us know, that can take a lifetime. But uh, as you improve, you're, you can spend less focus on strategy and maybe open yourself up more to some of this other stuff. Now, having said that, if you have certain mental blocks or issues, as we've already discussed, that could impact negatively even your ability to learn the strategy, if that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. I don't really see anybody who's spending the bulk of their time on mindset you know what I mean right. I, I don't know anybody who's like 90% of my time is on mindset and 10% of my time is on strategy right. but but once they learn the strategies you know peak performance strategies what happens is at least I teach my clients to start building habits around the things that are going to help you achieve per, you know peak performance and so once you're building those habits you're doing those habits every day for example I believe very strongly that everyone should have a morning routine and an evening routine and in your morning routine you should be doing things that set you up to have the best possible day now this could be around diet exercise meditation writing out you know your top two to three priorities for the day etc evening routine is winding down and helping you to have the best night's sleep that you can have and so digital sundown is important so you have to get out from in front of the screens at least an hour or two before you go to sleep or your sleep's disrupted um, you know again maybe some stretching maybe some meditation uh, gratitude you know and all these things kind of come out of the research but I help people set up these kinds of strategies and, and habits and then once they're installed you just every day you're doing them and every day that you do them you're going to get incrementally better so i'm all about incremental optimization which means a little bit better each day a little bit better a little bit better and then eventually after some amount of time it adds up to being really great hmm. yeah that's that sounds great yeah that's good i'm glad you i'm glad you mentioned the sleep aspect of things because i think mm. that's a, a huge factor for poker players because of the awkward schedules, uh, mm -hmm. the fact that you never exactly, especially for tournament players, which a lot of our listeners are, uh, you never know exactly how long you're going to be, be playing. You know, you could be done in four hours, you could be done in 14. Um, yeah, that's so, the worst. I mean, how do you deal with that <laughs> with players, uh, you know, especially, um, I mean, live players in particular, I think, you know, because not only are they on a weird schedule, but I mean, there's all the other aspects of, of that being around people getting sick not eating mm -hmm. well things like that um i mean what what's some advice you can give poker players about how to get some sleep in their life i know i need yeah. it. <laughs> it's a challenge it's a challenge um every year i spend the summer at the world series playing poker and it, you know i play mostly live and i travel during the year but in the series man it's really concentrated you know because it's like the 45 days or whatever yeah. and uh for me personally, I make sure that my diet is on point. I really avoid junk as much as possible. So when I'm in Vegas, I go and, you know, buy food and people could do this, you know, wherever they're, they happen to be traveling. Um, but go buy food. You can even get food delivery services. 
don't underestimate the importance of diet. Now, the sleep is a lot more challenging in the live environment because, as you said, God only knows what your hours are. I mean, in in past years, I've even played some of those um, daily deep stacks at the series mm-hmm. and played. You know, it'll start at two in the afternoon, or I think that's they've changed the times a little bit, but it used to start at two, I think. And then I can remember playing, you know, up to the final table and we're on the final table at like six, seven AM. So you're just like all through the night <laughs> and you get like completely messed up. So yeah, that that's challenging, but realistically do the best you can. The average person needs 7.5 to nine hours to sleep a night. So you want to make sure that you are getting that. If you fall behind because like maybe you played all night long to get on a final table or something, then, you know, maybe you can take some short naps to try and catch back up on that sleep a little bit. Watch your diet. If you, you know, say you finish playing and then you go eat a heavy meal and then you try to go to sleep, that's going to impact your ability to go to sleep. If you've got the screens, whether it's your phone or the computer or an iPad or whatever, the the blue light or whatever that is coming off, that impacts uh, sleep. You can try melatonin. Um, that's an over-the-counter supplement. But again, check with your physician before you do that because some people have issues with it. Um, exercise, you know, getting daily exercise is really important, but you probably don't want to do that too close to bedtime. So usually it's better to do exercise in the morning. But if you exercise in the morning, there is some indication that it does help with sleep later that night. Mm-hmm. So there are some things. It is a lot more challenging if you're a live poker player, though, because your schedule just, yeah, goes to hell. Yeah. Yeah, at least for the online guys, you can just you know turn off the computer and, and head to bed. But <laughs> there's there seems like there's so much more involved in the live side, especially if you're staying in a hotel or something. It's like, mm. oof, it's brutal. Yeah, that's the worst. Mm-hmm. So I, I think one one thing that is kind of a nice segue now, having talked about your your uh, you know habits going to the World Series and everything. Um, mm-hmm. How do you feel like the work that you do with other players helps your own game? Well, I'll tell you this much. I'm very lucky because I'm exposed to some of the best minds in poker. Mm -hmm. And that is very helpful because even though we're talking, you know, mindset, um, just when you hear, or at least I hear them talking about, you know, because they will be talking about things that happen strategy wise and and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So that's very enlightening. I do have personal coaching. I get quite a lot of personal coaching. I don't even know if I should say this and tip my hand, but um, <laughs> I get a lot of personal coaching from uh, Jordan Young, Jai Master Eleven. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've worked quite a bit with uh, Matt Berkey as well, mm-hmm. and Alexander Fitzgerald. Um, I work with him quite a bit, you know, on my own game. So yeah, they've taught me quite. A lot. It's been very eye-opening. I feel very strongly that you cannot become the best that you can be unless or without, I guess I should say, without the help of, you know, people who have done more, gone before you, mm-hmm. etc. It's like they're pulling you up, right? Um, now, when you're just starting out in poker, obviously you don't go from, oh, I'm just starting out. Oh, hey, I'm Matt Barkey, coach me. Um you know, you can start with someone who's a little bit ahead of you. But then as you're going up, you're going to see, I think, that you need to elevate the type of coaching that you get. But mm-hmm. hopefully I'll reap the rewards of all this studying that I'm doing. The other thing that I think for live players is they do need to learn how to use the software like the Flopzillas and the Equilabs and Card Runners EV and all that. And I think a lot of live players don't want to do that. They think, oh, that's, you know, for the online guys and gals. Mm-hmm. But really, there's a lot of value in it for live players, too. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. learning, Absolutely. recognize patterns and things like that. Yeah, I get, I get this quite a lot in uh, in my own coaching, actually. People who, who are maybe a little bit resistant to the idea of um, to the idea of diving right into the software, and I and I can understand that for a lot of people, but the reality is these days everybody else is using it. So mm-hmm. if, if you're not going to use it, then you know whatever improvement you do make is going to be at a slower rate than everybody else. And and then when you extrapolate that to guys who are at the higher levels, you know there are if you're playing mid stakes MTTs online these days, 
everybody else out there is using GTO solvers to, to run through mm-hmm. hands and things like that. And if you're going to resist it, it's going to take you a lot longer to get to where they are. You know, So at a certain point, it just becomes a competitive necessity, I guess. I think so. Although I would say that in the live games, I don't feel like GTO is necessarily you know as right. needed mm-hmm. as you know in the online games you know you definitely want to go for an exploitative style mm-hmm. as much as possible but sure. knowing the gto is good because that gives you a baseline and then you can sort exactly. of deviate mm-hmm. yeah yeah we actually we actually had this whole conversation about like a year and a half ago with uh, ben hales if you remember mm-hmm. uh Derek. yep yeah we had we had a we had a whole debate with him where he was he was uh very much in the exploitative camp and i was sort of you know, uh, suggesting that you kind of need to know a little bit about GTO at least before you can start creating, you know, reasonable expectations about exploiting people. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's nice to hear you say things in, in that way. That's what I was saying, I guess. Um, hey, that but... makes me feel good too that you were saying <laughs> this. And I'm like, all right, I am on the right track. But <laughs> well, um, I don't know how well you guys know, you know, Matt Berkey and Jordan Young and those guys, but Matt in particular, he is just such a super sick, you know, yeah. exploitative guy, right? I um, um I actually had a I actually had a Skype chat with him like last week because I was mm-hmm. there was a, a few coaching theory ideas that I've been putting together lately that I I wanted to chat over with him so uh yeah based on our previous podcast we talked about some of that stuff and 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 yeah we've been connecting the last week or so discussing a couple of different coaching ideas and I absolutely believe Matt Berkey is one of the smartest people in poker like oh, I, I think yes. I don't think there's I don't think there's too many people out there who think about the game on the level that he does. Um, I'm always impressed, and I'm grateful that he even had the time to do a Skype chat with me because I felt I learned more more in that one hour that I spent talking to him <laughs> than I than I had in a, a very long time before that. So I certainly, if you've got him as your coach, you're guaranteed to be on the right track. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you, I ended up, I went through, they have a camp, uh, the Solve for Why camp, and I went through the first time that they offered it, and uh, yeah, I was like, my mind was blown. And uh, I mean, because like you said, he just thinks about the game in such a unique, creative way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, just, just goes back to what you were saying. Like, it's so important to to be open to, to bringing those kind of people into your life, you know, to, to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know it's been huge for me, kind of, similar to you, you know, being involved with tournament poker edge i I sort of have this access to so many players who are much better and much more experienced than me so i always like i just try to soak it all in you know i just i take i take advantage of my position all the time (laughs) (laughs) well there's that that, uh there's that theory out there in personal development that says you you're you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time Mm -hmm. with right so in in poker it's probably you're the sum of the five people you talk poker with the most you know Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, you you could probably say that the thing about Matt, of course, is he's a cash game guy and he plays at the highest stakes. And since I'm mostly a tournament person, um, that's why I get the bulk of my coaching from Jai Master because he is a tournament like god, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> just be careful about that. Make sure that you know you are getting uh, advice from someone who plays a similar type game because I sure. doubt very seriously I'm ever playing the 300-600 game. Uh, <laughs> you know that jrb puts on so or the uh, or the super high roller ball as well actually you know yes. what just like just a couple of hours ago i read the news that uh kevin hart is playing the super high roller ball this year oh um, my goodness that's exciting pretty awesome right yeah, yeah. I'm, yes. I'm excited for that. i love him mm-hmm. i want him yeah. at a table he's so i mean he seems so fun obviously i don't know him but uh you know i only know his persona that i've seen but he seems really fun and really great for the game I think he is, yeah. I mean, I think anybody that you can get involved in the game that's that high profile, you know, if, mm-hmm. if he every now and again is going to tweet about going to play a poker tournament, that's going to be good for the game. You know, I yeah. think um, there's a lot of stuff out there at the moment that's kind of people are a bit ambiguous on whether it's good for the game or not. But I don't see any reason that you could argue that Kevin Hart not being involved in a three hundred thousand dollar tournament is um, is a bad thing. You know, yeah, good I news. Agree. Trisha, I'm curious. You were just talking about, you know, Berkey and Jai Master cash game versus tournaments. Do you mm-hmm. find that there are different mindset challenges that cash game players face than tournament players? You know, obviously with tournaments, you're 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 losing often, <laughs> just by <laughs> just you know statistically speaking, you're only cashing so many times. Um, I mean, do we as tournament players have a different set of needs? I guess from a mental game standpoint. You know, it's pretty interesting because yes, as tournament players we are often often on the losing end of the stick. Okay, that's true. 
But with the cash guys, you know, I have cash guys that they can be down, you know, in in a session, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. Okay, that that's gonna hurt. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you're on a six million dollar downswing, which I have worked with people in that scenario, that's a or a six million dollar downswing. If I didn't say that correctly, um, imagine what that does to the psyche. Huh. Right. Yeah. You know, in a tournament, yes, I'm losing, but I'm losing, you know, the price of, of my buy in, which, you know, for me at least is not $300,000 because I don't play the super high rollers <laughs> yet. Um, <laughs> probably never because I don't know that I have that appetite for that kind of, uh, yeah, here's $300,000. Yeah. I could buy a house with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, it's, I think, though, it's it's interesting because at the end of the day, people are people. Psychology is psychology. It all depends on, you know, your thought process, where you're at, what the money means to you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so it's hard yeah. to say that like, oh, it's drastically different. But when I do talk to the cash guys, sometimes I'm like, holy crap. You know, <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah. You know, I'm in the hole several million dollars. Mm -hmm. I, I think you're, you're definitely right there. I mean, I have a bunch of students who, who play um, reasonably low stakes. And I, I, given, uh, you know, given some of the, the conversations I've had with some of my students and, and just behaviors that you see from people in a variety of different contexts, you know, the, the $6 million downswings that, that the, the guys are having who play the absolute highest stakes, in a funny way, I feel like the, those players, um, because they've established you know they, they've sort of established the processes by which they deal with that stuff they're probably still dealing with it better sometimes than some mm -hmm. people who might have a six hundred dollar downswing at the low stakes you know because the the level of experience in terms of in, in relative terms you know six hundred dollars at someone who's in for someone who's at the beginning of their career you know relative to their net worth particularly if they're like 20 years old or something mm -hmm. that that could be a particularly impactful thing for them and it could actually have pretty much a similar impact so i'm uh I'm curious whether you know you you sort of feel that maybe money is actually one of the things that people kind of ignore a little bit in terms of how much impact it has on us. But if you, what well, the way I always, I always look at it is that if each of us had an uh, an infinite bankroll, I don't think anybody would ever have any mental game problems. Pretty much, you know, <laughs> we, we wouldn't care, right? So so on a certain level, it does come down to you know if you have a lot of money and you're playing for small money it's going to be easier if you don't have that much money and you're playing for relatively big money um it's going to be harder does that does that make sense like do you think like that's a reasonable it, theory it, it makes sense and i think it's interesting but you know one thing that just kind of came up in my mind as you were saying that is that for a lot of the guys that i work with it's not so much the money sometimes it is but but it's not always the money but it's more the fear of mistakes fear of mm -hmm. failure weirdly enough fear of success comes up for some people so there's a lot of psychology around money and you know mistakes and the public nature in poker mm -hmm. of making these quote unquote mistakes and, and all that, that I think also plays a role. It, it's mm -hmm. funny because, you know, when you said, well, the guys who've come up and they've got a lot of experience with this, you know, when people ask me about Matt Berkey in particular, I'm like, Oh, he's dead inside when it comes to money. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem like it really, uh, you know, impacts him. He's like, yeah, whatever. It was a $900,000 pot, you know, <laughs> but I think the issues around fear of failure, um, second guessing themselves. I have a lot of players who do that. Um, they're more in the two, five, five, 10 live cash arena, but I see that so much with guys in that particular, uh, range where they'll say, you know, I, I had the guy on a range and I was really, you know, confident that I was right and et cetera. But then I, couldn't pull the trigger I didn't pull the trigger or, or whatever I see that a lot yeah I think that that's pretty common I think it, it often seems to me like there's uh there's sort of a lot of the time there's sort of a barrier between someone knows what the right thing is to do or, or they mm -hmm. know you know what 
what the situation is and then actually doing that thing there's a, there's kind of an emotional barrier that's in between those two right is that, mm-hmm. is that quite logical? a quite a bit of self sabotage you know that you see where they know the right thing but then they don't do it for and usually the reasons do come down to fear of failure or like i said sometimes fear of success just you know self criticism all kinds of you know weird things because i think our listeners would do well to recognize that everybody has weird crazy thoughts that's <laughs> just the way the brain works and learning to sort of step back and be able to observe these weird crazy thoughts and then say okay i've observed it and you know it's going to pass by and much like a cloud in the sky passes by and i'm going to you know get back to doing the right thing but instead what happens is you know, we'll know what the right thing to do is. And then we'll have all these weird, crazy thoughts. And instead of stepping back and being like, oh, you know, that's just what brains do. We get wrapped up in the weird, crazy thoughts and then we don't make the right play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so funny uh, to have this conversation right now because I um, I was playing poker last night and I stream on Twitch. So uh, my backer and my coach, Mark Galliotto, was actually watching and I was deep in a, in a pretty big tournament. And, uh, he, and I... I I made a play that I wasn't happy with, and he actually messaged me on Skype this morning and said, you knew to fold that. I had already typed that <laughs> world-class fold in a text to you, and then you called, and I died inside. Because <laughs> 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 even on the stream, I was saying, oh, this, I, this has to be a fold. I'm pretty sure this is a fold. And then I just hit the call button. And, like, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I can't believe you called. And I'm like, me neither. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> so, yeah, it is uh, – I mean, it, it's – it might be easier to learn how to make the right plays than it is to actually make them. You know, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we have to click the right button. So yeah, it's kind of interesting to have that conversation just hours after receiving that message from my coach. <laughs> so now that you're looking back on it, what do you think led you to push the call button? It's funny. I want, I'm going to review the, the whole tournament with Mark and, and I know we're going to talk about that a lot. And I've been thinking about it since then. And I'm I'm wondering that too. I you know I actually want to look back at the stream and see if I said anything that will give me a hint mm-hmm. as to why I made a, the call, or if it was the HUD numbers. You know, maybe I looked and saw that the guy was a spaz or something, or maybe it was some weird pressure, like because mm-hmm. I was streaming and people were watching, and I was like, oh, if I make this call, it's gonna look so good, or if I make this fold, it's <laughs> gonna look so bad. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I, I kind of want to delve into that. I, I, first, I want to look back and see the numbers and all that stuff, and just see if I just made a mathematical decision. Um, but I have a feeling it, it was something else and I'm, and I'm not sure what it was, but I might need a session. I, <laughs> yeah, you might need a session, but I think you're yeah. kind of on the right track when you said, Oh, you know, was it because people were looking at me and you know, you were kind of, there was see how the brain, it, it pops some thoughts into your head, but they, they come so quickly. Most of the time we don't even really notice. We're not fully consciously aware unless we really taking the time to look at it. But I think there's probably something with that, that led you to yeah just twitch and hit that call button. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to blame that on misclick. So Mark doesn't yell at me. <laughs> 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 if, if in doubt, if in doubt, say it's a misclick. That's yeah. always the uh, best way but to you, go. You you can do that online, but what about live? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, oh, I exactly. No. Oh, I just accidentally put my whole stack in the pot. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, it's interesting, Trisha. You mentioned um, you mentioned the idea of conscious awareness there. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing that I've talked to a few students about lately is the idea that there's a there's a lot of pressure put on your conscious awareness if you're an online player who's multi-tabling. Um, mm-hmm. You find that people who multi-table a lot have more inclination to have these kinds of weaknesses. Well, I think if you're multi-tabling, you you can't really put forth as much conscious deliberation. Okay, so the the brain is very limited in its attentional resource power. Okay, a, a lot of people are like, oh, I can multitask, but that's not really true. We call it context switching. Uh, in psychology because we like to have big words for everything (laughs) but (laughs) basically the idea is that our attentional channel only has so much bandwidth and what we're really doing is we're switching from this to that and it takes like a certain amount of, of power to switch from this to that and then we switch from this to that okay so having said that 
we can't really consciously deliberate. So when we are multi-tabling, we're on autopilot most of the mm -hmm. time. So that is something to be aware of. Mm -hmm. Now, you can be using your HUD stats and things like that and, you know, playing a GTO style based off of your HUD stats. It, it's probably not optimum, but it's probably good enough, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's there's always um... – well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I suppose there's theoretically there's got to be like a, a certain kind of a point where if you play like two or four tables, maybe you can still be conscious the whole mm -hmm. time, you know. But if you're playing six, eight, ten, twelve, it gets harder and harder. So yes, it seems to me, or at least the advice I usually give my students is that everybody has a number of tables that makes them most comfortable. But yes, most most people tend to have a perception of what that number is that's too high. So for example, <laughs> most, most people who think most people who think they're comfortable playing 12 tables should probably only be playing eight or nine. And most people who think they're yes. comfortable playing eight should probably only be playing six just because everybody tends to overestimate their own capacity to handle a certain thing and they don't really realize how many spots they're missing when they play mm -hmm. those extra couple of tables, you know? So, oh, yeah. uh, so there is obviously, I guess there's like a, there's a bit of flexibility there, right? But yeah, I mean, it's certainly... Um, I'm, I'm glad you agree that multi-tabling is a dangerous thing for a lot of people, you know? It's pretty... <laughs> It, uh, it it seems to kill a lot of people's win rates, actually. They're lucky they have you as a coach because you're telling them very good information. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. That's, uh, <laughs> that's some very good validation for me. It's, uh, it's always nice. Um, before, we, uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to see if we could get you to leave our listeners with one thing that they can do today, right after they listen to this podcast, to sort of mm -hmm. start down this road of improving their mindset, their mental game, their peak performance. Um, you know, what's it, what's an easy step that somebody can take right now to start making a good change? Okay. I can give you a lot, but I'm going to give you, I'll give you two. Cool. The first one is I have a free online course called rub up your poker success, which people can sign up for. It's an online course, but it's completely free. And that's at peakpokermindset.com. So if you get on there and you take that course, it'll take you maybe about an hour, but it'll help you design a, a path for glory and greatness. Okay. And the second thing I would say is I have a mantra that I've been giving my clients. And I think if you would take this mantra and actually for some people, I say tattoo it like on your arm so you can like look at it, refer <laughs> to it often, but it's try to create a game that you can win. Interesting. Uh, explain that a little bit. Well, try to create a game that you can win basically means your goal when you go to the table is to win, but you need to create the situations that are going to help you with this goal, right? Mm -hmm. So we kind of like to believe that we're just these passive recipients of whatever comes our way. And what I'm saying is you can take a much more active role and create situations for yourself and you can create it by setting up good habits by studying by making sure that you know when you're on the table you are focusing you're paying attention you know just doing whatever it takes but always be saying I'm trying to create a game that I can actually win and then do whatever that means to you or whatever that takes yeah that's very cool yeah. I'm gonna uh... I'm going to print that out and tape it to the top of my monitor. Maybe it'll help me make the fold <laughs> next time. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> in, the, cool. in that context, I guess the game the game would be, you know, winning winning is making the fold when you need to make it, right? Yep. <laughs> exactly. Um, very cool. Matt, any more uh, any more questions that you had for Tricia? No, I think that's most of it. I think we've covered a lot of great stuff today. So, uh, thank you Tricia for for being here. It's been uh, it's been great talking to you. Thank you for having me, and I hope this helps your listeners out and that, hey, all of us have great winning poker sessions for the rest of the year. Yeah, World Series is Thanks coming up, so, uh, so it good, sure good is. luck to you. Um, I, will, uh, I will definitely link um, to all your information um, down below the, the podcast here so people can, uh, can find you online and, and, and uh, seek you out. And, yeah, I think, uh, I think Matt and I are on the same page in saying that we could probably talk about this stuff for many, many hours, so maybe we'll try to get well, you back on likely, the show. yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, oh we'll, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, we'll bring you back in the future, and, uh, and we'll tap into some other some other cool ideas. 
Yeah, it'll be a way for Derek and I to both hire you without actually hiring you. Yeah, <laughs> I exactly. love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, um, thanks as always, Matt. Thank you to Dr. Trisha Carter for joining Derek. us. I will, uh, again, I will link all of her stuff down below. I'm going to check out that free course for sure, so make sure you guys all do as well. And, uh, and thanks for listening to another episode of Mid-States Living. Take care, everybody. Thank, thank you, guys.